This is the Shift Podcast. On the Shift Daily Podcast today, the Boulay family joins the Shift to chat about how Logan Boulay's death changed six lives, and thanks to his organ donation following the Humboldt Broncos crash, they also raise the importance of Green Shirt Day and discussing organ donorship. Greg Fish in the World of Weird Things chats about what the pandemic looks like in California. That's where he lives, by the way. And also how AI can't save us all. And in fact, it's possible humans actually have to do something. And in case you missed it, producer Ryan O'Donnell raves about some upcoming South Park-themed sneakers. I will give him credit. They are pretty cool. And we take a deep look into pollution during the pandemic and how it's been sort of misleading. Plus, of course, Star Wars. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. It was three years ago on Tuesday when Canadians heard of the bus crash, the humble Broncos. Uh, it's a day that I think most Canadians will never forget. Now, three years later, it's hard to say, let's talk about the good things that have come of it because they're still going to be hurt for a really long time. And I would imagine forever. That being said, though, there is an awful lot of good that has come of this. And there was one particular young man who led that charge. And I thoroughly enjoy speaking to his dad and right now get to meet his mom. Logan Boulay was a player on the team. And Logan was in the bus crash with the Humboldt Broncos. And Logan went to the hospital. And it's Wednesday the 7th that Logan passed away. And on Wednesday the 7th of April is Green Shirt Day. Uh, Toby Boulay, Bernadine Boulay. Do you prefer Bernie, by the way? Would you prefer Bernie? Bernie is, Bernie's fine. Oh, That'll that work. Works. I don't want to step on your husband's nickname toes there. No. 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 <laughs> um, thanks for being here. It's nice to meet you, Bernie. Um, now, Toby and I have spoken many times over the last three years. And um, I, just, I just want you to know my heart's with you today uh, and this week. Uh, to the point where I even hesitated uh, reaching out. I didn't want to interrupt. Um, how are you guys doing? Well, as we keep thinking, and um, it, some days are better than others. Some moments are better than others. Um, we really try to just kind of keep rolling along with uh, how everything is. But every so often, something hits you, something uh uh, you're watching a movie, you're watching TV, a song comes on and that hits you and it brings you right back and you remember what happened three years ago. Um, and so, and that, and it just like, those, those un, like unplanned moments are those ones that really hit you hard. Like we can prepare for, oh, they're, they're going to have the, the, there will be this will happen or this, this something else will happen. And yesterday there was the, um, the the memorial service. Well, we know that that's going to happen, so you can you prepare yourself for that. But it's those little things that are really hard to handle, and that just kind of hit you kind of out of the blue, um, and all of a sudden you realize you're crying, or you have to take a deep breath, I have to walk away from what you're doing because it just impacts you a little bit more than you thought it would. Yeah, we Shane, we both like to keep busy. Even though I'm retired, Bernie's teaching school. I'm busy, busy, busy. Busy's good because Logan never leaves. He's always there. It's always in my mind. I can't. If I want to get rid of my Logan, but I can't. You just think it was all says, oh, Logan. So I like to make supper, and Logan liked to cook, so I make supper for Bernie every night and try to anyway. 
and I'm cooking something I want to enjoy with Logan and Bernie and our daughter Mariko. And so it's, you know, there's good and bad. And these next couple of days and the day before it could be absolutely horrendous. And it is, and I can't explain how bad it's going to be, or how bad it was, but we continue to move forward. And a lot of people are reaching out with positivity. So we have to grasp that and move with that. Well, there's an awful lot of love found in Canada around this conversation. That's for sure. Um, and there, there has been an awful lot of love found in Logan's uh, story. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, can you go back in time to the Oregon conversation before the crash? Um, foreshadowing as it might have been, but it's still at the same time, um, you know, that impact, man, holy cow. And it, just for a young man to even have that conversation still blows my mind. But for anybody who doesn't know the story, will you share it, please? Yeah, Logan's trainer, Rick Suggett, who is a friend of mine, wanted to do me a favor and train our boy, train Logan for hockey, make him fitter, make him stronger. And so he said, forget three of your buddies. So he got three of his buddies, and the rule was no dickhead. So that's the kind of guy Rick Suggett was, nicknamed Sluggo. Walk in a room, own the room when he walked in the room. He was, Rick, he was big. Yeah, and he just, <laughs> just his nickname Sluggo, just, that's the guy. And he coached internationally. And so he took the boys on and they loved it for one year. And the next year they're back doing it, working harder. And they all went back to the team's fittest guys. Well, Rick passed from a cerebral brain hemorrhage on June 27, 2017. And so the boys just, what do we do? And they just, Logan took over and they, they ran the program that Rick had set up and they just kept it going. And so in August of 2017, we're sitting on the back deck, Logan and I were just doing what we do. And Logan just turns to me and says, I'm going to sign up to be an organ donor, sign my donor card when I turn 21 on my birthday. And I literally looked at him like, uh, I wasn't a very good dad. I say that lots, and it's still to this day, I wasn't a very good dad. I just said, well, you'll be 85 years old, and nobody will want your organs. Mm-hmm. Trying to make a joke. He looks at me, and he goes, uh, nope. I'm going to sign up to be an organ donor. If Rick can save six lives, then so can I. And so... That was that. And then fast forward to the week of his birthday, he's doing errands with his billet brother, McLaren, who's 13. And they're little little Jetta. They park in front of the house, and McLaren's giving the, hey, what are you going to do on your birthday? Because it's like four days away. And trying to get, like, you're going to go drinking. You're going to, girl, what's going to happen? And Logan just turned to him and said, no, I'm going to register to be an organ donor on my birthday. McLaren's like, that's kind of creepy. And Logan's like, nope. It's the right thing to do. People need it, and I'm not going to need them. And then four or four and a half weeks later, there's a bus crash, and Logan's brainstem breaks. And that's the end of Logan living on Earth, basically. And then Bernie took over from there in that little room that way nobody wants to go into that you see on TV. And I'll let Bernie tell that part of the story. Yeah, tell me. Can you tell me about the room, please, Bernie? So we got to the hospital at uh, the Royal University Hospital in Saskatoon. So we had traveled there um, from Nippon because um, we had been told that Logan had been airlifted because he was one of the most severely injured people. We heard uh, from the doctors that Logan had um, a spinal injury and that uh, probably meant paralysis. So we thought, okay, we you know we can deal with that. We can get through that. We there's all kinds of people who um, have paralysis. They they can still live a full life. We can do that. 
And we must have really just glazed over the part about the brain injury because we didn't really get that part. Um, and then we got to Saskatoon and they had all uh, the cafeteria, actually, they had cordoned off for all the Bronco families. And so we went in there and, and then we, people who had been there for a long time and we got called to go see Logan in ICU. So we went down there and we got met at the door by Logan's nurse. Um, and he said, you need to come with me. And on his phone, on the phone, he had a picture of our family. And I thought that was Logan's phone. I thought, oh, he has Logan's phone. Uh, turns out it was a connection that to someone that we know um, that was an, also an, an ICU nurse that night. And she had the phone and so she, he had the picture so he knew who we were. So we got taken into this little room and on the wall um, or on the board, they had written down there uh, who, uh, where the people were on the bus and where, uh, who was where and at which hospital. Um, and um, I, I don't remember if they actually had a deceased list on there or anything like that, but we sat down and we're in this little room and there was the head of trauma care that, that was, it was a code orange. And there's one person that was, she was in charge of that. And there was a resident and there was neurosurgeons in there. And there's a, uh, um, a social worker and then the nurse. And they were telling us the injuries and they got to the part where Logan's injury was not something that he would ever be able to recover from or what he would be able to um, be able to get past. And so you got that idea put in your head and then my thought was how can what can we do and I asked for a second opinion and they just kind of looked at me like yeah no it's not going to change and then I said well could we could Logan be an organ donor and is that a possibility and they just kind of stopped in that room because as we've since found out that that's not something that happens often it's not a family is not usually ones that just offer up like that. They, the conversation comes from support workers and social workers and transplant workers, but it's never just an offer. So that's what started the whole process in the hospital. Yeah. Well, it's every parent's nightmare. Um, terrifies me. And I, I admire and acknowledge your ability to stand in it. Because every year this this time comes around and many uh, humans would recoil to a safe place. And uh, I, you know, we all admire the fact that you still take this stand. Um, and that being said, uh, Toby, I know you well enough to lecture you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've said this to me before and I've held you accountable before and I will do it again until, um, <laughs> until it needs to not be done. You've said... Um, that was not a good dad. And uh, as a dad, there's a big difference between I said something stupid and I'm not a good dad. And I know for a fact that you are and always have been. So please allow yourself the grace of I might have said something stupid because you are a fantastic dad. Thank you. It's just, you know, like your son and all these boys and girls, and whether it be school sports or riding a bus to school, so many Canadians riding a bus to work have ridden on a bus. And they were just, you know, they're just doing their thing. They were good. They were on their way to their playoff game. They were 
happy, focused, functioning. And then tragedy. And it was difficult. It still is incredibly difficult for many families. It's difficult for us. But, you know, you, you go to counseling and you hear everybody agrees in different ways. Well, put 16 families in the same room. I had a couple more that have severe brain injuries and the opinions are how the grieving happens is so different. And, and I, we just do what we need to do for our family. And sometimes we are out there too much. And sometimes we feel that we're not out there enough, but if we can make a difference in somebody's life, then I coach enough sports. I taught enough school. Bernie taught enough school. We've been around Lethbridge for a long time, promoting and helping people. We're not going to stop because Logan's not with us. Greenshirtday.ca is the website where everyone could go learn about it. Green Shirt Day as a tribute to everybody around Oregon donors, plus the Humboldt Broncos, plus Logan. Um, I was thoroughly looking forward to watching hockey with you. My son was scheduled. Uh, last time Toby and I had spoken in the fall was my son um, was scheduled to play in Logan's arena this winter. And um, we had made plans to connect if we could watch hockey. You know, that, of course, didn't happen with all things COVID, um, which I hope that we get that chance. And Logan saved and changed. I say that separately now as I've learned uh, the impact of his organ, organ donorship. Um, an awful lot of people. Will you help us understand the impact from all of this? Um, what happened to your family? And yet what you've been able to set free with the organs and, and um, because it, not everybody's lives were saved. Some people's lives were just changed. So um, help us understand that and how all of this has really set a bunch of other people free. That night we were told that there are six, there are six matches for Logan's organs. And so that's what was put out on Facebook. And as it turns out, the pancreas wasn't a match. So they said, well, give us another hour. And I said, well, what do we do? It's already out there. They said, so she came back in an hour, the transplant nurse, and said, there's no match for the pancreas. And I said, well, do we change this? Like, we can't really change what's already out on Facebook because we had to do something. And she said, no, his corners are going to transplant. And those are tissues. And they're, they'll change someone's life. So we went with six lives. And now we say... We, we, we've helped five, six lives become, lead, lead a better life. Six people lead better lives. And so our lawyer, Mr. North, had three transplant, three cornea transplants, and he was adamant, and he spoke on Roger Sportsnet, and he said, no, it's, it's life-saving for me because I had sight, and then I lost sight, I had sight. So it's life-saving to have my sight back. They saved my life. So don't ever, said, don't ever diminish the fact that a, a cornea transplant isn't life-saving. So, yes, Logan directly saves five lives with transplant, heart, double lung transplant, two individual kidney transplants, and a liver transplant, and then his corneas were donated as tissues. So, that. Tell me about Green Shirt Day and what you hope for. Uh, well, Green Shirt Day is something we just really hope people have a conversation about, that they're inspired to be registered organ donors, um, that they have conversations not only with 
their family to say, hey, I want to be an organ donor so that if they're ever in a place like we were, where you have to make a decision um, in the middle of a tragic situation that you know what that loved one's um, wishes are. Um, but we also hope that having a conversation makes other people think about being an organ donor and realize that, hey, you know, it doesn't take time to to sign the papers or to register online, which we are now able to do here in Alberta. Um, and to know that really the chances of you being an organ donor are so tiny um, that signing the papers doesn't need, mean that you are going to pass away or that you will be an or angel donor, but we just want that conversation to happen. We want people to talk about it. We want it. Um, we were talking with some people today about it and to be more normalized that the conversation about organ donation is more normalized and it's not something that means uh, doom and gloom, um, but it's just kind of something you can talk about. Yeah, we want people to have the conversation, register online, wear green tomorrow, which is today, today right? Mm -hmm. To wear green and that'll start a conversation. Someone will go, oh, you're wearing, where did you get the shirt? You're wearing, why are you wearing green today? You never wear green, whatever it might be. And then from every registered organ donor, that sparks three other conversations. And so well, you've inspired me to get it done. Yeah. And mine's done. I have my, in Alberta, they put a little heart on the driver's license. I have, uh, it's on mine. And uh, my son who just turned 16 uh, did go and ask when he got his. Um, he's thinking about it. So the uh, you have kicked the ball down the proverbial hill, if you will. Good. And um, and it mostly it, it has impacted so many people. So my invitation for everybody is, look, it might not be right for you. And if it's not right for you, that's okay. But my ask of you and my invitation is just consider it. If it's not right for you, I want you to be clear on it's just not your thing. But for me, for example, I did do the organ donation. I did not do the science part. That So just to be clear that it's not always the same for everybody. And, um, but I just want you to be clear. I want everyone, all the shift heads who are listening and, and everybody just, just be clear on the fact that whether it's your, if you're your jam or not, greenshirtday.ca is the website for all of it. Um, Bernie, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah. And Toby, we'll, we'll be chatting again soon. Oh, I, I hope that we can go to the local Moulin arena or just come to Leopard and hang out and watch a game. Yeah. Cause at Nicholas share, we might even be able to have a beer. Oh, Beautiful. <laughs> Um, I love that. And here in Airdrie too, they have uh, the pub upstairs. So um, there we go. it's a beautiful well, thing. Um, but I do look forward to connecting and um, I, I, I feel like uh, that that's the right thing to do after all these conversations. So thank you very much for being here. And thank you for standing in this place for Logan um, on these incredibly difficult days. Thank, thank you. you so much for thank having you. us. Thank it's you. safe to say, um, I feel like it's the right way to say goodbye is to say, we'll see you at the rink. We will see you at the rink. It is safe to say this time. It's the Shift Podcast. It is time for us to welcome Greg Fish to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Greg Fish, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, it's a beautiful day here in, uh, I'm just outside Calgary. Ryan is in Calgary. Matt's in Vancouver. Um, you're in California. You know, it's, uh, springtime. It feels all right. It feels all oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. It was, it was beautiful today here too. Not a cloud in the sky. Nice. 
Doesn't that feel good though? Yeah, it's, it doesn't like it's, those days, the simple days. Like, doesn't that feel good? Oh yeah, absolutely. Just there's nothing, nothing beats a little fresh air. Nice. This makes me happy. Um, the uh, the springtime is here. Although while you guys are vaccinating five million or so odd people a day, we're not. Uh, we have more more lockdowns and and restrictions coming our way. Uh, how are things? Uh, how are things feeling overall in California? Wasn't it the governor had said June is the is the reopen day? Like that's it. Everything's back to normal. That's what they figure. That's the hope at the current rate and how many people are getting vaccinated. Uh, that's that's definitely the uh, that's definitely the plan. Uh, on April nineteenth, basically everyone, um, every adult will be able to get a or at least try to get a vaccine appointment. Uh, there seems to be plenty of supply. Um, and you know, there's there's people very frustrated about vaccines, uh, but then after you know a week of trying, a couple of days to a week of trying, they they manage to get an appointment. So, uh, I mean, I'm really hoping that stuff picks up in in Canada soon. It would be nice to uh, get a little bit more normalcy in North America in general. Yeah. Well, when you look at New Zealand and Australia having their own little bubble now, where they can uh, soon travel back and forth freely between the two countries. It sure would be nice to be able to do that um, here. So, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. Worldofweirdthings.com with Greg Fish. That's where you can find his podcast. That's where you can find his blog. Where are we going today, Fish? So today we are going to talk about AI. I know it's a surprising topic that I've never talked about on the show before, ever. Uh, but let's do something different this time and. Uh, I thought we should probably mention one of the topics that comes up in uh, computer science a lot, which is using AI to essentially solve social ills. You have, you know, let's say you have a bank that discriminates against certain uh, certain borrowers. You have police departments that discriminate against certain ethnic groups. You have markets that are skewed by systemic imbalances. So there's a number of pundits who say, well, just recruit someone who can build an AI model and we can fix it. In fact, why not have AI run entire countries? Because the thought is an AI would be an objective system. It's a computer. It's bound by logic and facts and math. So it will be fair. It doesn't, you know, to, 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 a computer, we are all lesser things made of flesh. It doesn't particularly care what happens to any one of us. So its decisions should technically be fair. And unfortunately, there are companies out there that will come out and they will say, "I we will absolutely do that for you. We can create an AI system that will help decide things like the likelihood of a criminal to reoffend. We will help with recruiting and make sure that you are recruiting the best talent and you're doing this fairly. And they have been failing very hard across the board, but for some reason, those failures go unremarked. So I thought it might be a good idea to talk about what the failures are, how they happen, and how we can actually fix them if we really do want to fix them. So AI would look at a bank or a, a police department or whatever and flag once certain types of people are getting, um, you know, treated with favor, either good or bad. Uh, for example, if you're of a certain cultural background and I don't know how they could f figure that part out or, 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 or women 
under the age of 27 or or something like that, that the AI would catch on to the pattern, let somebody know about it in hopes that humans would fix it? Well, that is more what we would ideally want to do, but that's not actually what's being implemented. What's being implemented is someone comes in and says, we will build an AI model to do this. And because we build an AI model, then whatever real data we will feed it and how we will train it will magically make any sort of bias or any sort of favoritism go away. And then surprise, surprise, that's not what happens. Because what is actually going to happen is you're going to feed a system a bunch of real world data. It's going to internalize that implicit bias because that's all the AI knows how to do. All of the math inside the AI basically says, how do I quickly and efficiently guess my way towards a solution that matches what we see in the real world? So if the real world solutions are skewed, you give it enough parameters and it will essentially replicate the bias. So for example, there's a system called Compass in the United States. Uh, it's used in several jurisdictions. And the idea behind it is that it's going to look at the information about an offender who's been arrested and give a certain percentage of how likely that reoffend. And that is very important because that's used to set bail, that's used to set conditions of parole. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty uh, significant effect. And what they found is that it's 77% more likely to say a minority offender will go on to reoffend, even though the data in no way matches up. Uh, they, it's wrong a lot of the time. It's, it's wrong more than half the time, which is pretty, pretty drastic. Another example is Amazon tried to have an AI flag its candidates and they said, well, we'll, we'll build an AI. The AI will make sure that we're getting the best people because it's not going to look at names. It's not going to look at, it's not going to do anything that a human would do. So technically it should be impartial. But what ended up happening is that the system essentially settled on, it will only promote and recommend male applicants. So uh, these systems have failed pretty spectacularly catastrophically. So when someone comes out and says, well, we should have more AI running more things because it's going to be less biased, there's a lot of computer scientists out there screaming, no, 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 don't do that because what's going to happen is you're going to codify the problems that we have today. And then a bunch of people who like it that way are going to come out and say, well, it's math and it's logic. You're arguing against numbers. Therefore, this is all correct and this is all good and this is all fantastic. And that's the biggest fear that people who build AI models and work on AI models have, that their work is going to be used and abused to codify things they desperately don't want codified. In fact, what what we want to do is is exactly what you said, Shane, have a neural network and have AI models that run and say, okay, this doesn't look right. This this doesn't look fair. What we should be doing is we should be reevaluating how reevaluating how these models are supposed to be built. And better yet, you have an in, an exchange between different AIs where the AI that's meant to catch problems and favoritism and biases and systemic issues will try to train the other AI to figure out how to overcome them. This is ideally what we would want to get to, but that's not where we're going right now. So here's an interesting question that comes in, um, you know, from Ali and then another one from Rob. And Rob says, garbage in, garbage out. So that's curious to me because when it comes to AI, you know, when, when, when we do a survey 
for politics or where we do an interview like this, you know, the answer is only ever really as good as the question. Ali says, is most AI created by men? And does that mean it's also biased? So it, it, there's a lot there. So I'm curious your thoughts on it. But at the same time, it does sort of create how deeply the bias is programmed into it could be needle in a haystack of figuring it out. Those are that that's all absolutely correct. Um, I wouldn't say that all AI is created by men, uh, but the majority of people who work on AI are definitely men. Uh, this has to do with the fact that the majority of software engineers are men because of how the pipeline from, from high schools and colleges into the profession works. So having more women, having more uh, people who belong to a minority group, having more people who have diverse experience, having more immigrants. It, this is a case where we, we would actually benefit greatly from diversity because you would have people who can come in and say, well, I've seen these kinds of problems. I've seen these, those kinds of problems. And we can fine tune our search for those needles on the haystack. Now, important thing to note is that I don't think that we will able, ever be able to have a perfect system that has no biases, no errors, nothing. Because any because if it's done by humans, if it's created by humans in any way, um, it's going to have flaws. That's just the way that it is. Even if it's created by other machines, it's going to have statistical flaws. That's just that's just bound to happen. But our whole point again is, is let's try to weed out the most egregious things. Let's try and, and just, just strive for continuous improvement. Okay. And I'm not challenging on this, but it has piqued some curiosity here, programming bias and those kinds of things. So when we hear of bank crimes, right? Like you'd hear about bank tellers or bank managers with rounding errors. So accounting systems have a rounding error margin that you know you can make a mistake and lose a few pennies here and there well if you took one penny off every bank account in the banking system uh, that's a lot of money and so when we get into the assumption that ai will clean this up for us right that ai can weed out the bad actors and all of this all it would take would be a keystroke way 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 back for that that penny of bias and it, it it's possible that if we assume AI is going to get it, that somebody could build into the AI to hide it. Or is that maybe that's just naive of me? I don't know. It, you can absolutely do that. That's kind of the, it would be a little bit more difficult to do it. You probably just use something like that's like a more conventional script to, to hide that from the AI. You know, you can, it's just like garbage in, garbage out. Well, you can make sure that some of the stuff that's falling into the eye is garbage, so it just doesn't see it in the first place and never is able to flag the problem. It's kind of like office space if they actually got the decimal points right and then wrote a script mm -hmm. to make sure that that never gets flagged or discovered. Um, but yeah, this is entirely possible. And that's another danger of having, um, of, of basically relying on computers to do everything for you. Because if you have an error somewhere, if you have a major oversight somewhere, it's still going to be really hard to catch it, but you might also be very complacent and just not look for go to the review and say, oh, the computer should have caught it. It should have, but you still need to have auditing teams. You still need to have, like computers are fantastic assistants and they will greatly reduce your workload, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a workload to do and you don't have things to check and things to potentially retrain your computers on. Right. Okay. Now you're a computer programmer. 
So where does this sit with you in your in your ethical compass as a programmer? I mean, like I said, it, it, it would be absolutely horrible if I were to create a system and it would help someone discriminate against somebody or it's misused to uh, deny certain equities or jobs or opportunities like that is that that is kind of a nightmare situation for me i i I want to write stuff that helps people do their jobs i want to write stuff that improves people's lives i don't want to write something that is going to impact someone negatively uh if if i am pushed to do something that is going to impact people's lives negatively i would rather quit Okay, so where do we go here next in this conversation about um, in letting the computers, um, you know, take over from here? Because you have this one piece, uh, this one headline that really stuck with me. It says, why artificial intelligence can't save us from ourselves? And I would almost turn that around is why artificial intelligence can't save its can't save itself from itself. If that's not too deep. Well, (laughs) it's not too deep, but the, the really the reason is it's too dumb. It doesn't, it doesn't have the context that we do. It doesn't understand the world in the same capacity that, that we do. So it can't understand that it's making a mistake. So for us, you, you know, for, for AI, certain limits on how it sees the world are kind of like the laws of physics are for us. We can't break those laws. It is, it is physically impossible for us to do that. So it's the same thing with computers. What they don't know, they will never know unless we tell them or we allow them to discover it and process it. And even then they might process it wrong. What we really need to do is it, it exactly kind of like, like you said uh, at the beginning, chain. we need to go after our understanding of the world and tell AI, this: these are the things that we are trying to get rid of flag these things for us so we can improve them. So just to be clear here, because I find this a little bit ironic, in a good way ironic, so the computer programmer is saying, holy crap, humans need to clean up their human stuff and let the computers do the computer stuff, but we actually still need to be responsible, self-aware humans that actually contribute to society? Is that what you're saying, Mr. Computer Programmer? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I mean, when the computers get a lot smarter, (laughs) we can revisit this conversation. But for now, for now, and and, you know, and this is from from a personal perspective, as a programmer, as someone who gets asked to do these sorts of, you know, like write a program to help me do this, I can write a program to help you do something, but at some point, I'm not going to be able to like save you from yourself. There are mm. limits to what our technology can do. And there's sometimes there's no shortcut. You know, it's like if you want to lose weight and you want to do it the right way, you have to exercise and you have to eat right. That you know, there's going to be, there may be a lot of other things you're eating right and your exercise might be different from somebody else's, but you have to do that. There's no shortcut to that. And it's the same thing when it comes with running a society. There is no shortcut to run a perfect society. There's no line of code that will do it for you. You have to participate in the society in a productive way and come at things from a good faith perspective as, other humans have have things to offer. Let me hear them out. Let me see what they can do. Let me give everybody a chance and go from there. Huh. It's a crazy notion, there, Greg Fish. Humans. Have it to is be the world of weird things. <laughs> it's the world of weird things. Uh, thank you for that. Worldofweirdthings.com. Check it out. 
uh, computers screwing up computers. And I guess that does answer the age-old question, is your computer can be as awesome as it wants to be. Your Internet can be as fast as it can be. But the reality is the very first tech support question you always get asked is one of two. Is your computer plugged in? Is your computer turned on? And that could be the key to all of this. And when in doubt, reboot. Thank you very much, Greg Fish. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for Ryan O'Donnell. And in case you missed it. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Uritown O'Donnell. You're a what? Uritown. Uritown. All will make sense in just a second. Yes, welcome to In Case You Missed It, the part of the show where I take you through the stories you might have missed out on. And yes, we're going to get into a really interesting story regarding pollution and COVID. Now that it's been over a year, the statistics on how the pandemic has impacted pollution are actually a little bit more clear and the numbers are mind-blowing. But first... We're going to talk about something so stupid and so amazing. I just, I'm too excited, okay? Every year, companies try to capture on the buzz round 420. Ah, 420 uh is a day to celebrate marijuana. Legal, of course. It's a day where you appreciate the culture behind it, the music, the weed, all of it. And usually companies... Well, you know, like every holiday, Valentine's Day or uh, Easter, Halloween, you know, they'll come up with some stuff to market it. And, uh, you know, you can, gas stations will do stuff like a sale on Mountain Dew and Doritos. I've seen that. Killer combo. The best combo. And uh, sneaker companies usually make shoes inspired by weed. This is nothing new. This has been going on for... Uh, at least 15 years. Nike has been the king of this, though. What they do is create a sort of hybrid of, you know, their their skate shoes and a shoe that will represent marijuana. So the material will be suede that's a little bit more fluffy, so it looks like green. You know, it looks like weed. Uh, and they get pretty creative with it. And these shoes are worth a lot of money. But this year... Adidas has won already. I haven't even seen what Nike's doing, and Adidas has won. So let's get the first clip as we got to talk about this. You know, like sneakers, I could identify. Converse, (laughs) Adidas, I know all that stuff. I know sneakers. I know a good sneaker when I see one. And this has got to be one of the best themed holiday shoes ever made. South Park is one of my favorite shows ever. South Park is a perfect blend of ridiculous humor, brilliant political commentary, and just all-around comedy. And Adidas has partnered with South Park. They're going to do a big collection for 420. But why South Park? Well, because they're making a shoe based off the pot-smoking towel, Towley. One of the uh, most essential characters in the whole South Park universe. (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> and there is a joke. In the first episode, Towley ever shows up. Cartman says to Towley, Towley, you're the worst character ever. And Towley says, I know. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with Towley, here's a quick little clip just to give you an idea of what he's kind of like in South Park. 
Don't forget to bring a towel. Ah, uh, uh, no, not Tally. When going someplace new, you should always bring a towel. Okay, thanks, Tally. You want to get high? No, we don't want to get high. You mean you don't want Tally around? That's right. So am I to understand that there's been a Tally ban? <laughs> <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> I love Towley. So yes, Towley is literally a talking towel that smokes a lot of weed. So Adidas has made a shoe that is a classic uh, uh, silhouette that you'd recognize if you saw it on the street. The material is the same shade of blue that Towley is, and it's literal towel material. This is where I lose my mind. On the tongue of the sneaker, there are Towley's eyes. And they're UV activated. So when you walk out in the sun, his eyes change to red and they get all veiny and dry. Oh. Like it looks like he's high. The shoe changes in the sunlight. Uh, there's other ridiculous deal uh, details like the um, the lacelets look like uh, buds. The uh, sneaker has a secret pocket to hide, you know, the Mary Jane. It's such an awesome, funny idea. There's only one problem. They only made 42,000 pairs. Only. Uh -huh. only. Uh, that's nothing. That is absolutely nothing. These shoes are going to go for at least six to $700 on the resale market. No question. Wow. Which is stupid. I checked right now. They're, they're not out for another few days because 420. And they're 1000 bucks right now if you want them early. So I'm going to try so hard to get a pair of these. I think they're so fun. Uh, I, I like the color. I like the way they look. And I'm a diehard South Park fan. If you love South Park and you don't care about shoes, it's just a really funny thing to see Towley, the dumbest character in South Park, on a shoe. Oh, yeah. This is our world, people. If you do somehow manage to get a hold of these, you're going to have to let us know how they smell. Yeah. Oh <laughs> They're going to smell like <laughs> something. <Woo. laughs> Yeah, new shoe smell. <laughs> I wonder if they come pre-scented. So you, you oh, go outside dear. in the sun and your eyes turn red, huh? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, they do. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget to bring a towel. Wanna get All right. Towel? Yeah. <laughs> I love Tally. Okay, so yes, funny. there's my funny, silly news out of the way. <laughs> nice. I had to talk about that. Let's look at this COVID and pollution story because this is wild. So... It's a research uh, research out of UBC, and they looked into air pollution. Now, there's this general idea that because the less people were traveling, well, pollution must have come down. And what this research has found is, in the most part, for the most part, yes, it did. But in some places, it actually got worse. And that's where the interesting stuff is. So uh, let's get the story from Linda Aylesworth. As an associate professor at UBC who studies the effects that economic development has on the environment, the pandemic offered Frederick Nowak a unique opportunity. The lockdowns were an ideal experiment. It was just like shutting down an economy and we could observe what happens. And what happened where the environment was concerned? Well, as expected, many urban centers around the world improved. Air pollution went down by 45% on average due to like domestic lockdowns. And internationally, there was a 35% reduction in air pollution due primarily to travel restrictions. But we also found that in some areas it actually had very little impact on air pollution, and in some areas it even increased air pollution. 
Those regions are highlighted on this map by the color orange and include the U.S. Midwest, parts of South America, and Asia, where many people still heat their homes and cook their meals by burning biofuels. The result? You restrict commuting, you just restrict transportation, and people stay at home and maybe they use more energy residentially and cause more pollution. Dr. Nowak believes his findings will help inform policy changes that'll keep the air cleaner and the global economy healthier even after the pandemic. The lockdown helped us to realize that some of these air activities are way more polluting than others. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. So what I find really interesting in that is it's not just cars. It, it shows that even if the cars stop driving, it's how you're powering everything around. And the Midwest and Texas, for example, with the storms, millions of Americans heating their homes on a power grid that's not designed to sustain that kind of traffic. So pollution skyrockets. So what's interesting here is policy decision. Well, you go, okay, well, now we don't need to, we don't necessarily need to rush to electric vehicles, but finding a nice balance of making sure that our homes are powered responsibly and our cars are too, more fuel efficient in both areas. Uh, just the fact that we go down 45% in some places because we're efficiently powered and we're not traveling, and then we go up because we're not traveling, but we're not efficiently powered. It really ex uh, exposes some of the flaws in that system. What it exposes the real flaws in the system, I would say, right? Like you, you get into a conversation about this and look, the reality of this rush to electric cars thing, the electric grid can't handle it. It's just that simple. No, it can't. It, it, can't. it can't. Not and right now. You know, the, the battery conversation, sure, all those things. But the reality is, is that it can't, it can't handle it. And, um, and, you know, these plug in hybrids, these self generating electric cars, the ones that you plug them in, you give them a pretty good head start, but if they need power, they run on, on gasoline. That to me, or hydrogen, that, I mean, that to me becomes the, uh, the only thing there. But you're right. I mean, it just exposes the truth. It just, the reality is that so many people are desperate to just blame cars, right? It's all business. It's all dollars, my friends. It's all people trying to capitalize on it. And here's the truth. Number one selling vehicle in North America is Ford pickup truck. Still, you know what? It will be you know what's impossible to sell? I've had my Prius up for sale, for um, which is amazing in the winter and the summer because it it's a little hatchback generates its own electricity. I drove on the highway to um, where did we go? Oh, uh, I went down to Okotoks, pick up, run some errands. Three point nine liters per hundred kilometers on that trip. Wow. Yep, but you know what people wow. buy? <laughs> I listed. I my pick son has a four liter two thousand eleven. Four liter six cylinder Ford Ranger for sale right now. 17 emails on Sunday alone to buy that thing. Virtually the same price. 17. Four years, four years older than my Prius. Virtually the seven price. It gets about 400 kilometers on 80 bucks. My car gets 680 kilometers on $30. And you know what people are buying? They're buying the truck. So anything that we hear, it's just it's just people spinning and selling. That's all it is. That's anyway, crazy. Sorry. So, so no, no, it's a good point. I think you raise, and I like the idea that uh, studies like these, and it's cool, it's coming from Canada, show mm -hmm. that if we want to really make a difference in climate change and in all of these things, it's not just removing one problem. It's looking at all of it as a whole and striking a balance. So it's great. That's right. 
Yeah, uh, it is great. Cool statistics to pay attention to for sure. And side note, you want to know what else is doing really well selling wise, like on you know marketplace instead Weed. of a Ford, uh, you know, a truck. Sneakers. Lego. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I'm downsizing. As I've moved out, I don't have space for all my Lego. I put up a quarter of my collection, and I've already sold seven sets, which is about eight hundred dollars already. I've made nice, in just selling you. those sets. Wow! So, which is cool. Heartbreaking. Every time I somebody shows up at my door, he's like, "I'm here to buy it." I hesitate. I really do for a second. I'm like, I don't want to get rid of Java's sale barge. But I do. <laughs> oh no! Not I the barge. Not, not the barge. barge. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, if you're uh, if you're if you need some cash, Lego's a great way to sell and make some quick money, uh, which I've uh, come to discover. See, mom, it was. Um, let's uh, let's. I want to save this story. I've got. I'm doing a little bit of a look into YouTube's analytics, how it does ratings and dislikes. There's a story that's come out that they're testing how they're going to look at their dislike button. We're going to save that for when I'm back next week on Sunday because there's still some stuff I'm gathering for that. So in the meantime, Twitter, it got topical and nerdy, and I love it. So let's check it out. It's the Tweet of the Day. So we got some news regarding the cast of the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars series. Obi-Wan, which is the new Disney Plus special event. It's a six-part series. Ewan McGregor, the best part of the prequels, is uh, reprising his role as Obi-Wan. It's shooting this month. Uh, So the story takes place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. You know, Obi-Wan and Anakin battling it out. And uh, the coolest part about this whole thing is that uh, Anakin... Hayden Christensen is back as Darth Vader for this year series. So they released some more information onto the cast. Um, Moses Ingram, Joel Edgerton, Bonnie Pieces, Kamal Nanjani, which I'm really stoked to see him on this cast. He's an amazing actor. And there was a confirmation that this particular character will not be reprising his role, despite some rumors suggesting that he was. Missy called Jaja Binks. Missy, your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. All right, that's that's enough of that. That's enough of that. (laughs) No, I left a joke in at the end of that clip. You have to play it. All right, right now. Missy called Jaja Binks. Missy, your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. It is demanded by the gods. It is. There you go. Oh no. Oh yes, he's gone. He's not coming back. There was a there was a rumor that he would be, but thankfully not. Don't worry. Jar Jar will not be in Obi-Wan. <laughs> Yay! And that is my news I will leave you with. <laughs> in case you missed it, Ryan O'Donnell, a little celebration maybe at the end too, right there. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.